You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. I know it's a new year, and so uh, many of you have already begun new diets for 2021. Uh, Our normal diet of preaching at Iron City Church is to go through books of the Bible. Uh, But we've often started the new year looking at uh, something that we feel like we need to focus on as a church. Instead of something new that we feel like we need to focus on, uh, we felt like this would be a good time for us to revisit what we have said has been the mission and vision of our church from the beginning. So we're going to spend the next four weeks going through the four pillars of Iron City Church. These four pillars built on the foundation of Jesus and his word with Jesus being the cornerstone that our founding pastors agreed that we felt like the Lord was calling our church to be about where he was calling us in the city as a church family. So Jason Cook, our our founding pastor preached the first message on the four pillars uh, on September 7th, 2014, over six years ago. Uh, preached a much better sermon than I'm be preaching uh, today, but we are going to be revisiting these different themes, these different pillars that we feel like the Lord has called our church family to. So some of these pillars are things that will be true of every church, should be true at least of every church everywhere. But some of these things are also things that we feel like knowing that the Lord has not called us to be Christians or a church in a vacuum, but a particular place that we should focus on as a church family. So the first one that we'll be looking at tonight is for unity. Again, something that is very clear all throughout the scriptures, the people of God to pursue. So every church, every Christian everywhere is to pursue. The second pillar we'll be looking at next week is for diversity. So the truth is, is again, you can live a lot of different places uh, in our country, even in our city that aren't very diverse, that may not be diverse, ethnically, economically, generationally. And if you live in a place like that, it's probably gonna be pretty hard to pursue intentionally diversity if your community is not diverse. But the truth is where the Lord has placed us sovereignly here on the south side of Birmingham, there's not a ton of generational diversity, but this is the most diverse place ethnically, economically in our city. And so we would not be faithful if we're not trying to faithfully represent the diversity of Jesus' kingdom that is represented in our neighborhood. The third pillar we'll be looking at in a few weeks is for the city. Again, if you are a congregation that meets out in the country, out in the sticks, your pillar is probably not gonna be for the city. But the Lord has sovereignly placed us in a city. And we're gonna be talking about in a few weeks why that's a really strategic thing for the sake of the gospel that the Lord has called us to be a church in the city. And then lastly, for the glory of God in Christ. This is something that every church, every Christian is called to. The main aim of our lives, the reason why we are created. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. And so we exist for the glory of God in Christ. So these are the, some of the things that make up the corporate vision of our church. But the truth is that we may talk about these things being the vision of our church, but unless individuals that make up our church family buy into these things, these things are not gonna be true of us corporately. And so these are things that are worth us talking about together as a church family. My basketball coach in high school, he said, let's not just talk about it, let's be about it. And so that's our desires for us to not just talk about these things, but for us to embody them together as a church family. 
So the first pillar, again, that we've been talking about for more than six years that I pray will be uh, more true of us than ever in 2021 and, and beyond is that we want to be a church that's for unity. We live in the United States of America, but if we're honest, the United States does not feel very united right now. America was founded on a desire for independence and really prides itself in independence. We even have a holiday called Independence Day, right? But whether you consider yourself patriotic or not, I think one thing that's true for almost all Americans is that we have bought into this idealized view of independence. We see this in our advertising and commercials, have it your way, right? You can just be whoever you wanna be, right? But the problem for Christians, this kind of independence at all costs that our country idolizes can't exist together with the kind of unity the scriptures call us to. We can't be independent and unified in the way the scriptures have called us to. So I'm gonna tell you up front where we're going tonight. We're gonna to see in John 17 that since Jesus prayed and died for our unity, we as his people must make it a priority and pursue unity with one another. The means of our unity with God and one another is the sacrificial love of Jesus. The truth is, is Jesus has purchased our unity already. If you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, that means that you are united to God and you're also united to all of God's people. That's who we are positionally in Jesus. But the question is, are we experiencing that practically? Are you experiencing that practically in your life? If not, then your life is lying about Jesus and what he's done. If we are not experiencing that kind of unity with God and with one another, then our proclamation to the world is a lie. We're trying, we are making the gospel, the good news of Jesus look like it's not good news when it's really the best of news that we have been united to God and one another and made one with him. So in John 17, it's often called the high priestly prayer. One of the things we did in 2020 was we went through the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, more clearly than any other place in the scriptures, pictures Jesus as our great high priest. But not only as our high priest as we see in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament that makes the sacrifice for sins, but Jesus himself was the sacrifice. He got on the altar and was the sacrifice on the cross. But what we have here in John 17 is an incredible privilege. Again, that it's hard to even wrap our minds around that we have the privilege of listening in to the prayer of God the Son to God the Father before he goes and makes the sacrifice. Before the greatest act of sacrificial love in all of human history, we have the words of Jesus to his, his father recorded for us. I enjoy movies, but I love special features. I love the behind the scenes, I think even more than the movie itself. And I feel like John 17 is that kind of behind the scenes, behind the curtain view of what's going on in Jesus' heart and mind before he goes to the cross for his people. There's so much in this chapter. We really could spend all of 2021 going through and digging out the glory of John 17. But today we're just gonna focus on these few verses Demetrius read for us. 
verse 20 through 23. So listen to these words again from Jesus. Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, speaking of his disciples, his 12 disciples, but for those who will believe in me through their word. You know who that is? That's us, right? The reason why Iron City Church exists today is because the gospel came all the way from the shores of the Sea of Galilee where the disciples first heard it and made it here to Birmingham. And churches began here. So Jesus, again, not just praying for these 12 disciples, but for all who will believe through their testimony. And that's us. He's praying for us. And what does he pray? Look at verse 21. That they may all be one just as you, Father, in me and I in you that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Again, this isn't the only place in John 17 that Jesus prays that we be one. But here in just a few verses, repeats this theme over and over again. What's Jesus praying before he goes to the cross? It's so clear. He's praying that his people would be one, that they would be unified. We saw this theme as we went through the book of Philippians in the fall. And so one question we have to ask is why does the Bible bring this up so much? Why does the Bible bring up, especially the New Testament, call us to unity over and over again? And also, why is this on Jesus' heart and in his prayers right before he goes to the cross? I think the reason why it comes up so much and why it's on Jesus' heart is because this is so important, but it's also so hard in a broken world. It's so important that we as God's people be unified, but it's so hard to actually experience this unity that Jesus is praying for in a broken and backwards world. Having a kind of superficial unity is not really hard in this world. But we need to realize we as Christians have an enemy that wants to keep us from having this kind of supernatural unity that Jesus is praying for here in John 17. The truth is it's possible for people to be united in lies and around hate. We see this all around in our country right now, right? See people being united around conspiracy theories, seeing people being united around having and finding a common enemy that they hate together. But we see in verse 17 of John 17 that Jesus is calling us to be united in the truth. He's calling us to be united through a selfless, sacrificial love that brings us together as God's people, that fuels this unity. Another caveat I think we need to to make here in our day is that calls to unity should never be to silence cries for justice in the face of injustice or abuse. It's crucial Again, as we as Christians in Birmingham, Alabama, understand this, that we understand if we're going to have unity in a city that's known around the world for division, this is not going to come by canceling out cries against injustice. Dr. King said 
that he was in Birmingham because injustice was in Birmingham and injustice didn't disappear overnight in the 60s. These things, these systems and structures, unjust systems that our God hates still influence our city today. So it seems sometimes that there have been superficial calls to unity without the pursuit of justice for the oppressed and know that that kind of thing never happens in the scriptures. Unity is always connected to the people of God, caring for and loving one another and pursuing justice for their neighbors. So as we see Jesus sacrificially setting aside his privileges as the son of God and in love dying to unite us to God and one another, this should lead us to die to ourselves, to serve him and one another. This is what we're called to as the people of God. I think we saw the key to this unity in Philippians chapter two, where we're called to have the mind of Christ, have the same mind that's in Christ Jesus. And what was this mind? To not look out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. To consider others and their needs as even more significant than our own. In order for us to have this unity, we need to know what unity looks like. And here Jesus in John 17 gives us the perfect picture of unity in his prayer. He prays that his people would be one as he and his father are one. This perfect triune love and unity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, have existed together in a loving, united community for all of eternity. This is the picture that Jesus gives us here in his prayer of what unity that he is praying those people would begin to experience. So I remember a few years ago when I was teaching our oldest son how to dribble, was showing him some videos, showed him some videos of professional athletes, some guys in the NBA dribbling, but also some kids learning how to dribble. I think it's important when we're learning things that we have perfect pictures and imperfect pictures. I think in the book of Philippians, we had an imperfect picture of unity, right? Paul having to call out ladies by name for their division and lack of unity in the church. But here, Jesus given us the perfect picture of what unity and oneness looks like, of the father and son together. And why is this so important? One of the things Jesus makes really clear in John 17, why this is important is because our witness to the world is at stake. A verse we've often quoted here at Iron City is John 13, 35. The way that the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples is by our love for one another. But one of the things Jesus says here that I've often just, I've read this many times, but I think just kind of skipped over and not seen the significance of is again, not, not only will the world know that we are his disciples and we belong to him by our love for one another, but also the world will know the truth that the father sent Jesus into the world to save sinners by the way that we love one another and unite together. Look at verse 21 again. That they may be all be one, just as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says it again in verse 23. But why do we need to have this unity? Again, so that the world may look on the people of God, the church, and see 
the reality that the Father sent the Son into the world to save sinners like us. When we are failing to live in that kind of unity and that kind of oneness, the world's not gonna believe the best news in all the world, that the God of the universe has sent his son Jesus to come and save the world. This is what's at stake here. Are you beginning to see why this is so important? Why this is something we must be devoted to? Why we have an enemy that wants to do everything possible to keep us from being unified like this? So the question is, how do we really experience this unity? What's keeping us from experiencing this unity? I think the Lord gave another insight into this text that's plainly here that I have just not made the connection with before this week. Jesus not only says that he's praying that we be one as he is one with the Father, but that his people, that we as his people, that we are loved by the Father with the same love that the Son and the Father shared together. This perfect love. Look at verse 23 again. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Let's sit with that for a second. Jesus saying that his father loves his people with the same perfect love that the father loves the son. If you are in Christ, you are loved perfectly by God the father. The way that he loves his son, his eternal son, Jesus, he loves you. Brothers and sisters, I, I know this is true because Jesus said it but this is almost impossible for me to believe. That God the Father loves me perfectly as he loves his son. Again, if you were in Christ, that is also true of you. I had to ask myself, why is this so hard for me to believe? Why is it so hard for me to believe that the Father loves me like this? I know it's understandably difficult for some of you to believe this because you've had really bad earthly fathers. It's hard for you to believe that you have a heavenly father that loves you perfectly because you've had a very poor reflection of that unconditional perfect love from your earthly father. But I, I'm grateful that that was not the case for me, that I, I've known un unconditional love from my father from before I can remember but the real reason I think for me that I struggle so much to believe this is because I know that God knows the thoughts and intentions of my heart. He sees all of the ugly in me. And to know that that's reality and that, again, Jesus' perfect son didn't have any of that, and to think that he loves me now the same way that he loves Jesus with this perfect love is just beyond my comprehension. I think it's possible for me to believe positionally that he loves me in Jesus. But practically it feels like there's not a whole lot to love about Camp U. I think often I felt like the, at my best moments, God the Father is kind of low-key disappointed with me. And in my worst moments, he's ready to pour out his wrath upon me. But I think one of the best things for me in 2020, I know it was a really hard year, with a lot of difficult things in it, but one of the best things was me having to slow down 
I, on my sabbatical this summer, read a book called Gentle and Lowly, where it sets forth the heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers. I think for me to have to slow down and just meditate on what the scriptures actually have to say about the love of God in Christ. This perfect love that Jesus is speaking of here. And for me to actually begin to believe that the triune God of the Bible loves me, not just theoretically, but experientially. It's important that you believe. There's a, there's a difference between us knowing something is true and us believing and living like it's true, right? It's important that you not just know, but that you believe that you are loved perfectly as a sinner and that you're united to Jesus through faith or you and I will not be able to love other sinners and be united to them in the way that we're called to here in John 17. Here's the truth, brothers and sisters, that you can't reflect the love of God to others if you don't embrace it for yourself. You can't reflect the love of God to others if you don't embrace that love yourself. So what is one of the main reasons why I, and I think we together, don't love one another as we are called to and experience this kind of unity that we see in John 17 in the church? Is that you and I struggle to believe that we're really loved in the way the scriptures tell us that we're loved. One question I had to ask myself this week is what else does God have to do to show me that he loves me? And what Paul says in Romans 8, that he didn't even spare his own son for us, but freely gave up Jesus for us. How will he not also with Jesus freely give us all things? And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a repitiation, as a atoning sacrifice for our sins. That God demonstrated his love for us. And then while we were his sinners, while we were his enemies, he sent Christ to die for us. What else can he do? What more can he do? He's given up his son, his beloved son in love for us. So when you and I are prone to forget the love of God in Christ, we must look to Christ again. We must look afresh to Jesus. Behold him. Behold the love of the Father in sending the Son. This is what Tony Marita says. Unity isn't the result of preaching on unity. It's the result of people adoring and emulating Jesus. Just a couple chapters before in John 15, Jesus says that you can't do anything apart from abiding in him. We can't do anything, especially have this kind of unity where we've got to die to ourselves and selflessly love and serve one another without abiding in Jesus and having his words abide in us. But once you and I begin to believe and to comprehend the depth of the love of Christ that Paul says in Ephesians 3, that you may begin to, again, have comprehension of the depth of love of Christ that's beyond comprehension is what Paul says in Ephesians 3. That's how great the love is. We, we need to have a begin foretaste of how incredible this love is. But to know that this is just a foretaste. It's beyond our wildest dreams. When we begin to have this foretaste of the depth of love that God has shown us in Jesus, we can begin to reflect the same love and grace and patience and kindness and mercy to one another 
we can begin to experience this unity that Jesus is praying for in John 17, that he purchased for us through his death. There is no doubt that we are seeing a rift division in our country right now. It's even showing up in the church. But we must show to the world that there is a better way. We as Jesus people must be a city on a hill in the midst of the darkness, to be a light, to reflect the love of the Father to the world around us. And one of the things that Dr. King lamented as he was writing a letter from a jail cell here in Birmingham is that the church has often been the taillight rather than the headlight. We've been lagging behind rather than being those that are leading the way as the light of the world. The light of the world has come. The love of the Father has been manifested to us in Jesus. We as his people must begin to reflect that to those around us. The United States may not be united, but Iron City Church must be. We must remember that unity does not mean uniformity. There will be differences among us, There'll be different opinions, different approaches to things, but our differences don't have to lead to division. We don't have to divide over those things. As we'll see next week, we are called to have unity in the midst of our diversity. But if, if this kind of unity is gonna be true of us in 2021 and beyond, Jesus must be the one who ultimately defines who we are. We as his people must ultimately find our identity in him. Because the truth is, if we find our identity ultimately in anything but Jesus, then we're going to be divided. But if we find our ultimate identity in Jesus, then nothing ultimately can divide us. We will be, we won't be uniform, but we will be unified. So Jesus prayed and died for our unity. So we as his people must be careful to prioritize and pursue this unity. Jesus purchased this unity for us. We by his grace and spirit must begin to practically walk in it. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna spend a few minutes praying the Lord would give us grace to not just hear this word, but to be doers of it. So if you will enter into a posture of prayer, I've got three things I want us to pray through as we conclude this time and move towards the Lord's table together. First question I have for you is, have you really begun to embrace the love of God in Jesus for you? Do you know the love of the Father? Do you believe that he doesn't just put up with you, but delights in you as his child? If you don't believe that, it's gonna be almost impossible for you to reflect the love of the Father, the unconditional love of our God to those around you. So if not, will you pray the Lord will give you grace to begin to comprehend the depth of his love for you this year? Would you take a minute and pray for that?